Support for this program comes from listeners like you. To find out more, visit us online at theschoolofchrist.org. of Elijah. This is part two of the series, and I'm titling this The Infinite Supply of the Lord. The Infinite Supply of the Lord. We are doing this study on the spirit of Elijah to learn through the ministry and through the example of Elijah in Scripture, how that same spirit of Elijah prepares a way in the wilderness and prepares a people for the coming of the Lord. So what we have in mind here is not to look for a personality like Elijah, a person, a leader, a personality, a preacher, teacher, apostle, prophet, like Elijah to come and lead us. We are led of the Spirit, and we are led of the Lord. We are not led by man. Even the most gifted, talented, anointed man or woman on earth is not our leader. So we are not looking for the personality of Elijah. We are looking for a people being prepared in the wilderness with the same spirit and power of Elijah to make ready for the coming of the Lord. So that is briefly the relevance and the connection between Elijah in the Old Testament and the perilous times that you and I are living in today. So as we consider these things, there are certain lessons and principles, I think, revealed in Scripture that helps us and equips us for living in the last days as a prepared people. So um, last time we discussed the confrontation and the conflict that was initiated with Elijah's appearance before Ahab. This week we talk about the infinite supply of the Lord. So we'll discuss this in three circumstances, three situations that Elijah found himself in in uh, 1 Kings 17. First, at the brook Cherith, secondly, at Zarephath, and thirdly, at Death's Door. So let's start with the brook Cherith at first in 1 Kings, and um, we'll go back and read beginning in verse 1 of 1 Kings 17. So if you would turn back there, please. 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, 
which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Well, let's pause and consider what the scripture is telling us here. First of all, it says that Elijah was to hide himself. It says in the book of Proverbs that a wise person, it says wise man, but I like to uh, include everybody. So wise, a wise person, a person with prudence, a person with discernment, sees evil and hides himself. But the foolish continue on and then they are destroyed. I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the reference right in front of me, but it's in there. You just read through the book of, book of Proverbs and you'll see it. The wise, the prudent person sees the evil and hides himself. And so here's a good example that we have to be led of the Lord. And here, the leading of the Lord and the word of the Lord to Elijah is to hide yourself. Now, there's nothing wrong with presenting yourself, with confronting evil, with standing strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, lifting up your voice to proclaim whatever word God has given you to proclaim. And Elijah was certainly obedient to God when he took great risk to present himself before wicked King Ahab and to give Ahab a declaration, a prophetic declaration of judgment and to declare that as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And we covered the significance of that pronouncement in the previous message. But the word of the Lord is not always stand up and speak out. Sometimes the word of the Lord is hide yourself, especially after you have just, in obedience to the Lord, stood up and, and spoke that word that the Lord gave you. And so immediately after these, after this uh, very bold declaration, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and it said, now go hide yourself. Get away from here. <laughs> Get away from Ahab. Get away from here. Go east. Go back out into the wilderness. Remember, he is from uh, the village of Tishbe of the inhabitants of Gilead, which is east of the Jordan River. So basically, God prepared him for so many years in the wilderness for such a time as, as this. And then Elijah, in obedience to the word of the Lord, stands before Ahab. And now Elijah, in obedience to the Lord, is going to get away from there and turn eastward, go back and hide by the brook Cherith. 
Now, we know that this is also in the same area because it says that the brook Cherith flows into the Jordan River. So the thing to remember here is not to get into this mindset that says a, a couple of things, a couple of mistakes I see. First, thinking that everything God says to you is always the way it's going to be from here on out. The lesson and the example that we see here is that we have to listen and trust and obey the life of the Lord and the word of the Lord moment by moment, day by day, and not think that because God spoke to us in 1965 or 1982 or 1993, that what he said then is still what we are to be doing, where, where we are to be now. Because once we fall into that mindset, we stop listening. We stop waiting. We just get into a rut, either a habit of activity where we never stop and the work of the Lord becomes more important than the work of the Lord or the Lord of the work, I should say. The work of the Lord becomes more important than the Lord of the work because we started working. Now we are working so hard and so long that we can't stop. God can't even get us to stop. That's a problem. It's also a problem when God tells us to hide well, we believe that God is telling us to hide ourselves and we stay hidden for so long that we lose the ability to carry on a normal conversation with other people. <laughs> I'm saying it's possible. And it's very likely that what God is leading you in today is not necessarily how he will be leading you next year, next month, next week. How do we know? And if you're, if you, if you came into this study looking for a formula, a formula for supernatural provision, a formula for how to get your blessing, a formula for how to always tap into and know 100% for sure what God wants you to do. Let me just say that there is no formula. There's no three-step method, but it is simply going to be based on the simplicity of a relationship with God that is day by day, moment by moment. The other challenge and mistake I see people make is they spend all their time waiting to get some definitive, definite bolt of lightning from heaven that strikes them and, and lays everything out for them and makes it as plain and simple as possible. And they think if only God would just speak, if only he would just tell me what to do and where to go, 
uh, then I would do it and I wouldn't have any problems. And sometimes that happens, but I'm, I'm telling you most of the time that is not necessarily the case. Instead, what happens is we learn to live and to trust and to obey the Lord day by day, moment by moment. And even though Elijah is clearly hearing from God about when to present himself and when to hide himself, there there is still a great deal of time passing you don't it, the, the the time in scripture is condensed so when you read first kings 17 uh, it seems like god is speaking to elijah all the time and that's usually not the case there's a lot of waiting on the lord in between these times where god actually says okay here's what i want you to do but it gives the impression when you read this that everything is happening uh, so quick and that it's not happening as fast as you may think. But it, this is condensing a lot of waiting, a lot of boring, daily, monotonous sitting and waiting for the Lord and trusting that where I am is where he wants me to be right now, but that might not be the case tomorrow. And so tomorrow you come back. You continue to trust and obey. And so when God says, present yourself, you present yourself. When God says, hide yourself, you hide yourself. Now there's nothing wrong with hiding when the Lord says it's time to hide. I want you to get away from here. I want you to, to go east, and I want you to hide by the brook Cherith. It's not a defeat for God to tell you to hide yourself. Now, there's lots of reasons why the Lord may want you to hide yourself, but maybe we can sum them all up into saying that things are moving according to a certain time frame and schedule, and sometimes you need to wait, not necessarily because it's anything to do with you directly, but it has to do with other people, other things, other circumstances. In this case, what I suspect is Elijah gives this pronouncement, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, that's not the kind of prophetic pronouncement and proclamation that will instantly be confirmed or proven or persuasive to Ahab. Do you follow what I'm saying? So it's easy to say it's not going to rain until I say so. But it would take a few days a few weeks, a few months, and in the book of James, it, it confirms for us that when Elijah prayed, it didn't rain for about three years, maybe a little, a little more. But the point is, it would take time, not for Elijah, but for Ahab to figure out, this is 
legitimate. This is for real. This is an actual crisis here. This isn't some crackpot that just came down out of the wilderness making empty threats. This is a real problem. So, But Ahab, it takes time for Ahab to get to that point. He doesn't get to that point in a day or two or in a week or two. You know, same thing with, with Pharaoh. His heart was hardened and he kept changing his mind, changing his mind. So the waiting has to do with allowing the Lord to work his purpose out. And it's, again, not because God wants to delay it, and certainly not because you want to, to delay things. But sometimes you just have to wait. And if, you've got a, if you are impatient and in a hurry and you don't like to wait, then yes, that is the very uh, thing that needs to be worked out in you while you are hiding yourself. Now, it's important that you hide yourself when the Lord says it's time to hide. Not that you hide yourself because you're introverted, because you're socially awkward, because you've been hurt by people and, and you don't want to expose yourself, uh, because you're grumpy and you don't want to be around anybody. Those are not legitimate reasons to hide yourself. Because if that's the case, then when the Lord says, present yourself, then you're saying, mm, no, I, I kind of like it out here. I like hiding myself. I'd love to be hidden. <laughs> but I don't have the option to hide myself when God gives me something to write and something to teach. And then I make an appointment with people that every week at about this time, we're going to get together and I'm going to share what the Lord has put on my heart to share with you. I don't have the option to go and hide. So the point is, whether God is saying speak or whether God is saying be quiet, whether he is saying present yourself or hide yourself, you have to do what the Lord says to do, not just what is in your natural inclination to do. That's the first thing we see. The name uh, Cherith, by the way, means cutting or separation, which is interesting. As I said, this brook was in the wilderness east of Jordan and flowed into the Jordan River. And the other significant thing, the, the theme of this message is the infinite supply of the Lord. Look at how the Lord supplied Elijah with an infinite supply of provision. It says that the Lord commanded ravens to feed him. It says the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, that's a, that's a miracle that he was fed by the ravens, but uh, in case you haven't realized it, ravens are unclean birds of prey. They are not kosher. They are on the list in Leviticus 11 of unclean birds that you are not, Jews were not supposed to eat from. They were unclean. They were not kosher. Ravens, right along with vultures and buzzards and eagles, you're not supposed to eat these birds. Why? Well, because God said so. But why did God say so? Because they are birds of prey. They eat dead carcasses. 
And so they perform a necessary function in nature, but you don't want to eat these birds. It could be hazardous to your health. So you're not supposed to eat them. You're not supposed to have anything to do with them. Keep your hands off. That's where a lot of these dietary restrictions in the Law of Moses come from. It, it's it's nothing taboo or um, um, superstitious about it. It's just for very practical purposes. They are unclean. They are not healthy. Don't eat them. Same thing with pork. Now, listen, I love ham. I love bacon, uh, but in moderation, right? These things are not good for you, and they're not good for your health if you overindulge in them. For that matter, that neither is meat, but I'm, I'm not to that point. I'm not saying uh, let's give up meat eating altogether. I'm saying that... Uh, we have to take into consideration healthy choices. We have to make healthy choices, not just about what we eat, but how much we eat. So uh, that is the motivation behind a lot of the dietary laws in the Mosaic Covenant. But ravens are unclean birds of prey. They are not kosher. And yet God is using, he didn't use doves or, or something, you know, that was clean and kosher and nice. He used an unclean bird of prey to bring Elijah bread and some kind of meat. We don't know what the meat is. We don't know where the meat came from. I, I you know, in that situation, I might be thinking, hmm, bread, I can, I can take, but this meat from a raven, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how long it's been out in the sun. I'm not sure that I want to consume that. Ravens are unclean, and they are not kosher. And yet, the ravens are doing what God commanded them to do. He says, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, he's not going to command the ravens to feed him someplace else. It's important that you get where God tells you to be and that you receive the provision of the Lord. Sometimes we argue with God about the way God provides. Why here? Why this? Why now? People do that with their job situation sometimes. It is a popular pastime around the world to complain about your job, complain about the people you work with, especially complain about the person you work for. Complain about your clients, complain about your customers, complain about your prospects who don't buy, complain about the customer service. But if that is God's provision for you, then we have to learn to accept that provision and not argue with God. A lot of the dissatisfaction and the stress we create because we are arguing and fighting against the situation that we are in for the moment. 
Now, it's not to say that uh, maybe you've got another opportunity someplace else. Maybe there is another way that God will provide for you. But we're talking about right now, today. Recognize what God's provision is and receive it even if it's not what you expected it to be, even if it's not what you would choose for yourself. Because it's not about the provision, it's about the provider. Are we going to trust in the provider to give us the provision? And where, wherever God guides, God provides. So he says, get away from here and turn eastward. Hide by the brook Cherith, because there, that's where the ravens are going to be. That's where your provision is. That's where the infinite supply is. Now, Elijah can argue and go hungry, or Elijah can say, thank you, Lord, and have plenty to eat. So the point is that Elijah did not argue with God, but he received that provision. Now, here's something else to notice. Elijah was not exempt from the judgment he had just pronounced. God did not cause the rain to supernaturally fall for Elijah while the rest of the land was in a drought, but Elijah experienced the same judgment that everyone else experienced, and eventually it says that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And that happens too. It's amazing, you know, the, the, you know, the old saying that you don't miss your water until your well runs dry. And in the same way, it's, it's amazing. I'm mostly speaking about myself, but I know I'm not alone. When we complain about our job or our financial situation or our business or whatever the situation may be, however we are supplied, we complain about it. It's not to our liking. But then we lose that job or we lose that business. We lose that provision. The brook dries up. And then all of a sudden we realize really how good we had it. But now what? The brook dried up for him the same as for everyone else. Now this is really important, not just because of the economic situation that we find ourselves in as of the recording of this teaching. You could be listening to this 10 years from now or 25 years from now, and it wouldn't make any difference, the actual timing. There will always be economic good times and bad times, times of prosperity and times of poverty, times of inflation, time of recession, time of relative prosperity. And these things are cyclical. They go up, they go down. They're seasonal. They happen over the course of a year. They happen over the course of many years. 
And sometimes the brooks the brook is flowing. And sometimes the brook dries up. But the lesson of infinite supply, the first lesson that I want to share with you from the brook Cherith here, is that your provision has nothing to do with the brook. It has to do with the provider, not with the provision. The infinite supply is the Lord. The brook is not infinite. And even though the ravens are bringing meat and bread, theoretically, there's a limit to that also. So the idea behind the infinite supply of the Lord is that the Lord himself is the infinite supply. So it's not about getting attached to the brook. Building a house here by the brook and letting the ravens feed me for the rest of my life. And now I'm set. Because here's what happens. The brook dries up. The ravens stop coming. It doesn't say that, but I'm, I'm just saying. They are, they are limited. They are not the infinite source. And that brook is not an infinite source. When the rain dried up, or when the rain stopped falling, the brook dried up. Now what? And you can learn a lot about yourself by seeing how you react to things when your brook dries up. You lose your job, lose your business, uh, lose your financial source. And suddenly it becomes very clear where you think the provision is. Is it in that stuff or is it in the Lord? And I'm saying all of us are tested in this way. And, and, and I am not, uh, I am not some superhero that is far above all of that. I experience those same feelings and concerns as everyone else, sometimes even more so. <laughs> the point is that your provision is not your provider. It's just the provision. If the infinite supply is the Lord, so long as you have the Lord, you have, you have an infinite supply. The brook dried up. Now what? Now it's interesting that Elijah didn't get worried. He didn't immediately go out and look for another brook. He waited until he got another word of the Lord, from the Lord. God told him to hide himself, and he did. He said, drink from the brook, and he did, and then the brook dried up. But Elijah still did not move from that place until the word of the Lord came to him again. He waited for the Lord. And sometimes that can be the most challenging thing of all. But Elijah waited, and then the word of the Lord came to him again. So now let's take a look, beginning, beginning in verse 8 of 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17, 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, 
Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, I must have made a mistake. You can't be the Lord's provision for me. No, he didn't He didn't say that. Maybe he thought that. Maybe I must have made a mistake here. No. Elijah said to her in verse 13, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, <laughs> The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And she said, You have got to be out of your mind. Who do you think you are? No. Verse 15 she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. You see how you have to cooperate with the Lord of infinite supply. Elijah had to hear the word of the Lord. Elijah had to be obedient to it. She had to hear the word of the Lord and she had to be obedient to it. There's lots of things that can break down in this process. <laughs> Disobedience will block the blessing from flowing. Sometimes it's not your disobedience. Sometimes it's someone else's disobedience. Listen to what I'm saying. Sometimes you do all the right things and you do exactly what God tells you to do, but it depends upon someone else. And if they are disobedient, then it can hinder what God otherwise wanted to do. It's not the end of the world. It just means it wasn't meant to be for that one person. But in this case, it says she went away and she did according to the word of Elijah and she had she and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. <laughs> The infinite supply of the Lord. Well, everything about this story is just wrong. Let me tell you how wrong it is. First of all, the timing was wrong. The timing was all wrong. The brook ran dry, and God did not even give Elijah a plan B until the brook was already dry. <laughs> so Elijah is thinking, okay, I've got it pretty good here. And then the brook runs dry, and most people would panic. 
and they would begin to doubt and they would begin to have questions. I thought God led me here. Oh, I thought I thought I heard from God and God told me to come here and now my brook's running dry and I don't know what I'm going to do. I must have missed God. I must have made a mistake. No, you didn't. It's just that things change. It just means you have to trust him every day. You can't trust him one time and coast on that for the rest of your life. You trust in the life day by day, moment by moment. The brook runs dry. Okay, well, what's next? Let's wait and see what the Lord says now. Elijah didn't jump up and look for another brook. He didn't worry and fret. He waited for the word of the Lord. Somebody has said that God is never early and he's never late. He's always right on time. And that may be so, but from our perspective, sometimes the timing seems all wrong. But Elijah still trusted in the Lord and waited for the word. The second thing is the place was all wrong. When when Elijah does get this instruction from the Lord. What is it? Arise, go. Okay, great. Where are we off to? Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Wait a minute, Lord. Lord, do you realize that Zarephath is next to Sidon? It says belongs to Sidon. It's a little settlement outside of Sidon, as in Tyre and Sidon. And Sidon is where Jezebel and her family live. This is the same Jezebel that's trying to destroy all the prophets. And God says, okay, you've been hiding by the brook Cherith. And, um, you know, people think the wilderness is such a bad place to be. I, I think it's a comfortable place to be. That's where he's from. That's where he's comfortable. His needs are being taken care of. He doesn't have to worry about Ahab and Jezebel finding where he is. Uh, it's kind of a, of a comfort zone, isn't it? And then God tells him to get up and go all the way in the opposite direction towards Zarephath, which is in the land of the Sidonians, which you'll remember from 1 Kings 16, where we read that Ahab took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And this is, this is where the, the altar for Baal and the temple of Baal is. This is where Jezebel and all her family live. And so the place is all wrong. Are you sure I heard correctly, Lord? Yes, exactly. That's where I'm sending you. Zarephath, by the way, means refinery. Cherith means separation. Zarephath means refinery. <laughs> the timing was wrong. The place was wrong. The person was wrong. Here's the third thing. The person was all wrong. How can this be the Lord's provision? I could see if God sent me to a wealthy family or a rich uncle, or some eccentric billionaire someplace. But God sends me to a poor widow and her son, and she's really encouraging. 
you know, bring me a little water and, and bring me a morsel of bread. And she says, I don't have any bread. I've got a handful of flour, a little bit of oil. I'm getting a couple of sticks to make a fire. I'm going to make this last bite and then I'm going to eat it and die. <laughs> I mean, how can that be the, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. That doesn't sound like, uh, it doesn't sound very encouraging. And even if that's the case, it doesn't sound like this is the right one at all. <laughs> right. Plus what will the neighbor say? Lord, I'm going to go stay in the home of a single woman. It doesn't look right. Surely there's got to be a rich uncle or a wealthy family somewhere in Israel that will take me in. No, this is, you say it's wrong. I'm saying this is what I want you to do. And to Elijah's credit, he does it. And I would say also the fourth thing is the request was all wrong. Elijah had the audacity to ask this woman, I, I know you don't have much, but give me first from what little bit you have left. Give me the last or give me the last little bit of bread and water you have. Share it with me. Make me something first. And then you eat and I'll make you this promise that you'll not run out. The bin of flour will not be used up, nor will, will the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. But you make me something first. <laughs> what? I mean, it's one thing to make these prophetic declarations to Ahab, but to make these prophetic declarations to a poor widow who has nothing, and you're asking her to give you something to eat first. It just sounds all wrong. Everything about this is wrong. The timing is wrong. The place is wrong. The person is wrong. The request is all wrong. God must be wrong. Or if something's wrong with me to think that this is the leading and the provision of the Lord, I must have made a mistake someplace. Don't you second guess yourself sometimes? And yet, <laughs> and yet, here's the infinite supply of the Lord. It says she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. That's the infinite supply. See? It's the it's according to the Lord. It's what the Lord commands, whether it's the ravens to feed you and the brook to water to, to water you, or whether it's a poor widow who has nothing to provide for you. Miraculous, supernatural provision, the infinite supply of the Lord. And then the final that we'll consider this evening at death's door. 1 Kings chapter 17, resuming again with verse 17. 1 Kings 17, 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. In other words, he died. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? 
And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So praise the Lord. Infinite supply at death's door. Victory does not mean the elimination of enemies. It doesn't mean getting rid of all of your problems. It means meeting your problems head on and overcoming them by overcoming yourself. And what do you have to overcome? Mostly fear and doubt. If Elijah gave in to fear and doubt, the child would be dead, would have remained dead. But the fact that God is, is leading Elijah and the fact that Elijah is being obedient to the Lord doesn't mean the elimination of Elijah's enemies. It doesn't mean the elimination of Elijah's problems. Walking in victory does not mean the elimination of your problems. It means the presence of God in the midst of your problems. Meeting them head on. Overcoming whatever you have to overcome by overcoming yourself first and foremost. Getting out of your own way first and foremost. Then you can get out of the Lord's way. <laughs> so again, it's not a, a, it's not a formula for victory that will make your problems disappear. That's not the way victory in the spirit works. Ahab is going to be there. Jezebel is going to be there. There's still death. There's still destruction. There's still famine in the land. Victory does not mean eliminating. It means overcoming. Now notice that in times like this, and this is just an aside because it, uh, it coincides with a book that I'm working on right now. But notice that in times like this, everyone wants someone to blame. When things go wrong, people begin to blame other people. When things go right, they tend to take credit. When, when things go wrong, they want to find someone responsible for it. So the widow blamed Elijah. What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And then in a way, Elijah blamed God. He kind of passed it off to him. Oh, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? Did he really believe that or was he just echoing the sentiment of the widow, saying it ironically? 
Well, a lot of people do blame God when things go wrong. No matter what kind of miraculous provision, no matter how many times God has answered prayer, it's the last prayer that doesn't get answered that God gets blamed for. We forget about all the blessing. We forget about all the revelation, all the answers, all the victories of the past, but we are consumed in the moment and facing the thing that's right in front of us, and it's really easy to blame God and forget how far God has brought us. But but even if that was Elijah's thought, he expressed it in prayer, which is good. But incredibly, this did not cause Elijah to quit, but to pray all the more, even though it may have looked like or sounded like that the widow was being repaid with tragedy that somehow this bad thing had happened to a good person and it wasn't fair. But this didn't cause Elijah to quit, to give up, to get mad at God. It just caused him to pray all the more. Elijah stretched himself out upon the dead child right there on the bed. And I think that is a significant thing because it is essentially going through the motions, going down into death with that child and raising him up again to new life. And so for me, this act of Elijah stretching himself out upon the child, this is the death, burial, and resurrection of the cross. Compassion is key here. It says that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. He healed their sick and he preached the good news to them. I'm convinced one reason why we don't see miracles and healings and deliverance with uh, great regularity these days is because we, we simply, it, it's not that we lack the gifts. It's not that we lack biblical knowledge. It's not that we lack authority. It's that we lack compassion. Compassion. Love has grown cold. We don't have compassion. We're too consumed with our own problems to get involved in the problems of other people. And as a result, the love of many has grown cold. We don't have compassion, but I believe compassion is one thing that unlocks this power of death, burial, and resurrection. By compassion, I simply mean sympathy, sacrificial love, sacrificial giving. But this is the key, and this is the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, self-sacrifice identifying with death and burial so that we can then enjoy resurrection and life. Elijah demonstrates this and overcomes even death. So it's interesting that the widow says, by this I know that you are a man of God. See, not the teaching, not the prophecies, not even the miracles, the miraculous provision. But by this, I know you are a man of God. What does she see? What does she observe? Compassion, the work of the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. 
not the not the mantle of prophetic authority, not the miracle of prophetic provision, but simple compassion, identifying with death and burial, and experiencing resurrection and life. That's the work of the cross. And by this, I know that you are a man of God, she says. That's how people will know with us as well. They might not believe the prophecy. They might not believe the teaching, but they'll believe the compassion. And when we reach out to people in compassion, we identify with their suffering, and then we raise them by the power and by the name of Jesus to new life, then they will know we are his disciples. They will know that we are kings and priests of a God who lives. And so life overcame death. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Praise the Lord. So three takeaways as we finish. First, supernatural preparation. Like Elijah, God will separate us there in Cherith. Remember, Cherith means separation. God will separate us by hiding us for himself in the wilderness. And it's there in the wilderness that we can be reduced to Christ. So again, I repeat, don't waste your wilderness. Don't murmur and complain and wish that you were someplace else. Take advantage of God's season for having you there in the wilderness. And allow yourself to be stripped and reduced to Christ there in the wilderness. Supernatural preparation. Secondly, supernatural provision. Just like Elijah, God will refine us in Zarephath, the refinery, (laughs) by sending us to what we think is the wrong place at the wrong time to the wrong person with the wrong request just to see the miracle of infinite supply. So when you see that happen, don't question his provision. You say, but Brother Chip, I'm so afraid to step out on faith, or I've I've stepped out on faith in times past and it didn't turn out uh, the way I thought it would, and so I'm disappointed and now I'm afraid. Well, I understand that, but you just have to keep stepping out. You say, well, how do I know for sure? You can't know for sure. If you're looking to experience something that removes all doubt and all fear before you will step out in faith, then it's not faith anymore. I don't believe that faith necessarily excludes doubt. Just like the presence of Jesus in the midst of my problem doesn't necessarily eliminate my problem. It just means he is with me in my problem as I overcome it. In the same way, you may not get rid of all of your doubts and fears, but you can still exercise faith. You can still trust in the life of the Lord. You can still trust in the supernatural provision of the Lord. You might make a mistake. You might get it wrong. God's bigger than your mistake. God is bigger than you getting it right or getting it wrong. But that's part of the refining process there in Zarephath. So don't question his provision. 
and don't second guess yourself. Don't be afraid, but believe, Jesus says repeatedly over and over again. Fear not and peace be with you. Thirdly, supernatural perseverance. After all these things and then the child dies, you would think that Elijah would say, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm so disappointed. But like Elijah, our faith is going to be tested to the utmost, even to the point of death in many situations. And the problems will become more numerous and more difficult as we navigate these last days and these perilous times. Don't make it worse by quitting, but keep pressing on. Now, to press on, you're going to need supernatural perseverance. You can't do it in your own strength. And we'll see that Elijah gets exactly what he needs to get when he needs to get it. Not a second too early and not a minute too late. (laughs) And it'll be the same with you and with me as well. Just don't quit and don't give up. So again, we don't look for an Elijah personality. We are looking for an Elijah company, an Elijah remnant, an Elijah group, an Elijah people of the last days. And as that Elijah remnant of the last days, we will also experience severe testing, trials, and tribulation just like Elijah did. God may hide you from public view, or God may send you deeper into conflict and confrontation. In either case, we must learn to trust in the life of the Lord, to hear the word of the Lord, and to follow the way of the Lord. That's what infinite supply is all about. Elijah's movements and actions make no sense, but wisdom is justified by the children it produces. There is no secret or trick or hack for unlocking your blessing. It all has to do with something really, really simple. Listen to God and do what he says to do. It's not a formula for prosperity. It is a principle for living. If you'd like to get additional teachings, audio recordings, books, and other Christ-centered resources to help you grow spiritually, visit us online at theschoolofchrist.org.